0: filler in business books and audiobooks takes up time that you don't have you're here because you want the golden nuggets from each book without all the BS. The more you learn, the more power you have to affect the world around you. This is the Cut the Crap Podcast. Never read a book again. And here's your host, Ryan Calagari. What's going on, you guys? Hope you're having a really good start to your week. Thank you so much for joining me on another episode of Cut the Crap Podcast. Or every single episode, I'm condensing a book down to its core golden nuggets, saving you time for maybe having to read yourself. Maybe I'm giving you a little bit of a refresher, or maybe I'm giving you something to uh, maybe look forward to, and you're going to go pick up the book afterwards. If you guys enjoy what I'm doing here, if you guys like Cut the Crap Podcast, if you like the episodes that I'm putting out do me a favor and go on iTunes and uh, leave me a review and a ranking. And I would really, really appreciate that. Um, You know, it's just, it's nice to see people ranking, reviewing, and providing commentary. It's uh, always good to see that. So if you have some time, please go ahead and do that. So this week, we're looking at an older book. It's an oldie but a goodie. All Marketers Are Liars, The Power of Telling Authentic Stories in a Low-Trust World. Now, I picked this book up again and wanted to read it because... Some of the stuff that I'm going through right now, uh, I realized that I'm not telling stories enough. And I got away from that. And again, all great marketers were all great storytellers. And really, essentially, that's what the book... I remember catching Seth Golden in a presentation one day, and he said the title rubbed people the wrong way. Marketers. All marketers are liars. And he goes, no, I should have renamed it All Marketers Are Storytellers. And I think he was bang on to call it liars, to call marketers liars, because it got the attention that it needed. Regardless... What I'm going through right now is that I truly believe that I haven't been using stories uh, well enough to sell, to market, and I really need to get back to that. So I picked up this book to help me understand, again, going back and remembering what's a remarkable story, what goes into a story, what makes a story weak, what makes a story positive. And I remember reading this book back maybe 10 years ago. I said it's an older book, but 10 years ago I read this and after reading it again, the lessons from 10 years ago are very much applicable to today's world. None of this stuff is old. None of this stuff is outdated. It's very much applicable to today's world. And if you're in sales, if you're in marketing, if you're an executive, hell, even if you're in a relationship, you all have stories to tell. You have stories to tell, things that you're trying to convince people to do. And you got to use stories as a way to compel people to do that. So what's this book about? What sells a product these days? Is it price? Is it the buyer's needs? Is it their features, their benefits? What's the deciding factors for customers to buy? Well, Seth Godin, he says that it's none of the above. It's not price, it's not needs, it's not the features, it's not the benefits. It's the story. A successful marketer has to be able to come up with stories that consumers want to believe. The stories should fit what Seth Godin calls a customer's worldview and encourage people to talk about it to others. When a marketer's story is authentic and remarkable, the product, the service, the offering, whatever it is it's representing, will sell. I love this book, you guys. Loved it 10 years ago. Love it today. Hope you guys like it as well, too. All Marketers Are Liars, The Power of Telling Authentic Stories in a Low-Trust World by Seth Godin. Golden Nugget number one. Powerful communicators and successful marketers tell stories that people want to believe in. I'm going to start this one off with a story, of course, with George Rydell. Now, I don't know if any of you have any Rydell wine glasses in your house. I know I do. I have both white and red wine glasses in my house. And George Rydell, he's been telling a powerful story about wine glasses for many, many decades. His company has been in the business of glass blowing for over four centuries. Now the family's business, which is in the 10th generation, Rydell introduced a special series of wine glasses, where different glasses are meant to bring out the best qualities of different sorts of wine. Now, George says that every wine will have its own unique story to tell. And the glass that you pour the wine into, the glass is the interpreter. It's gonna help you understand the story that the wine is trying to tell you. That's a very compelling way to promote the value of a very simple thing, a glass. And it's funny enough because scientific tests, they've proven that there's actually no difference between his glasses, the Rydell glasses, and any other glass. But still, wine experts and connoisseurs from all over the world swear that wine tastes better from a Rydell glass. How crazy is that? That's the power of storytelling. And that's the power that stories can bring to a marketplace, can bring to a company, can bring to their product, to their service. It goes to the point where the story actually changes the customer experience just because of what people believe. Now, we live in a world where people buy what they want, not necessarily what they need. Most of us, I think for the most part, have bought a designer piece of clothing, um, you know, sportswear, device, food from certain brands, types of shoes, a certain car. And it's not because of quality, but it's because of the way it reflects our beliefs and our view of the world. Listen, I want to get this pair of shoes because it's classy and I'm classy. I want to get a custom suit made because it stands out. It's different. And I stand out. I'm different. I want to get this piece of technology because it's smart and it's advanced. And I'm smart. I'm advanced. I need that piece of technology. So you see, as a marketer, what story are you going to tell? And what worldview are you trying to match up with? Who in the marketplace shares that same worldview? Now, I'm saying worldview, and you might not know what that is, so we'll talk about that in the next Golden Nugget. But what I want you to take away from this one is the importance of story and the power that story has. Now, I have to make one quick suggestion for you guys. You can't just put out a story and expect people to follow along. Rydell has been doing this for centuries, four centuries, 10th generation. So it's this long lineage that has helped their story. If you don't have that, can you tell that same story? I don't know. Probably not. But there's different ways that you could tell that story. If you are selling wine glasses and you're trying to compete with the Rydell glasses, there's different stories that you can tell, different frames you can use to tell those stories. The challenge is when people are looking to grow their business, they're looking to grow their business now. Stories take time to marinate in the customer's mind. You need to continually tell a story, not once, not twice, three, four, five, six, seven. You got to do 10, 20, 30 times. People have to hear the story on an ongoing basis for them to actually hold on to that story, believe that story, and make that story a part of who they are. So if you're in this marketing game, you have to, be, you have to understand that it's going to take you time for this story to penetrate the marketplace and to get in the minds of your consumers, the minds of your prospects. It takes time. But that's you as a marketer, that's your job. It's your job to be persistent. It's your job to be consistent. It's your job to bring that frequency of that story to the marketplace. And if your CEO, your VP of sales, if they're looking at you and they're saying, listen, we need leads now, that doesn't mean that you neglect story. What that means is you need a short-term strategy to help drive leads, drive opportunity. But at the same time, in parallel, you need to be telling that story. Because that story needs time to marinate in the marketplace. And you got to make sure that you are making an investment in your company's brand by telling that consistent story. And you, as a marketer, it's your responsibility to find that story, tell that story, and be frequent enough in telling a story, and making sure you're a champion of that story. It's a huge takeaway. Far too many marketers that get so caught up in analytics and... Quarter by quarter strategies, and they just forget about the long-term importance of story. And again, this is maybe one of the reasons why I picked up the book was because I really thought about you know how I'm doing things. And I, be being completely honest with you guys, I got up in that quarter by quarter campaign and I forgot what story I was telling. So I'm not being a hypocrite here and saying, hey, you guys have to do this. Listen, I need to do this myself. And as a marketer, it's so easy to get caught up in you know the daily grind of whatever it is you're doing, but you have to make that investment. And that investment is your story. Golden nugget number two, understanding your customer's worldview. Now the worldview is a very important piece to this book, very important piece to storytelling. Now every single one of us, when we're born, we're born like a blank piece of paper. There's nothing written on it. However, as we go through life, as we interact with different people, our family members, uh, friends, coworkers, peers, Uh, mentors, books, television, radio, brands, speakers, anything. All of those help form our worldview and who we are today. Some things we believe in and we think that makes us who we are. Some things we reject and we don't allow to be put on that piece of paper. But now at our point in our lives, if we look at that piece of paper, there's many things that we believe based on experiences that we might have had. You know, some experiences, for example, might have been created from reading a book. That book might have changed your life. My perspective, I read a book very early on in my life that my dad gave me called Awaken the Giant Within by Tony Robbins. And that book by itself changed my life. A lot of who I am is based on the worldviews that were created after reading that book a few times. You know, I read that book maybe, you know, five, six, seven times. You know, the type of cars that I drive, the kind of house I live in. The type of clothes that I wear is all based on things that I have learned growing up that I believe make up who I am. You know, I wear a sport coat and nice shoes because I believe that I am somewhat fashionable. Not over-the-top fashionable, but I like to be fashionable. I like to get custom suits because I know that a custom... Well, first off, the reason I have to get a custom suit is because my body is all out of whack. I have big legs and tiny waist and big shoulders, so nothing off the rack fits. So that's just a little insight into me, but... The reason why I also like custom suits is because I like to look a little bit different. I like to have a a look that stands out. And that comes down to, again, my worldview. As a marketer, I believe that not only should my brand stand out, my personal brand, but also my communications and what I put out there in the marketplace. So you need to really understand your customer's worldview. And a lot of the times when people are trying to figure out the worldview, they use something called personas and they try to understand their customer by outlining that persona. You know, for example, they might say, you know, we're trying to reach Jane Smith and Jane Smith is an intelligent individual. She's highly educated, graduates, you know, graduated with a degree in whatever. She has a family, she drives a nice car, lives in a nice house, likes listening to, you know, cut the crap podcast because she likes to be educated and continue that education. And so you kind of get this idea as you tell the story about who this individual is, who Jane Smith is, what her persona is. You're trying to get an understanding of her worldview so you can understand how you fit into that worldview. Now, if I believe in, you know, custom suits and kind of standing out... Do you think if somebody came to me selling black t-shirts, just a black t-shirt or a white t-shirt, do you think that would really fly with me? And if their value proposition to me was, hey, you know what, don't think about what you're wearing, you just wanna go ahead and put something on. You know, Don't think about style, don't think about being unique, don't think about standing out. You just wanna make sure you have something that's easy to put on and out the door. That message does not resonate with my worldview. So we are not in alignment. However, there are people out there with that worldview. People out there who look at Simon Cowell and his style of just wearing a black T-shirt, and they say, "You know what? I like that style." Or they look at Steve Jobs, and they say, "Steve Jobs is really smart, and he wore the same thing all the time: normal jeans and a a, a black a black uh, uh, and a black sweater." You know, I want to. I believe in that too, and. The worldview they tell themselves is, you know what, I'm not cheap, I'm just simple. I'm too busy to worry about style. I just have to focus on getting clothes out and I don't want to think about my clothes because I'm too busy being smart or too busy you know, worrying about whatever it is I'm worrying about. They've told themselves a story. And so you have to figure out what your customer's worldview is. What did they believe? A lot of this can be done through conversation you are asking questions, just understanding your buyers, understanding the marketplace. And then once you understand them a little bit better, test out different messages that you put out there in the marketplace and see how they resonate. If they resonate, people will talk about them. People will share them. People will like them. People will talk to you about them. And by people, I mean your marketplace. If it doesn't resonate, people won't talk about it. They won't share it. They won't like it. They won't be attracted to it. They won't react to it. So that's your job as a marketer, and it's not an easy job, it's a job that requires a lot of discovery, a lot of asking questions, a lot of testing, and you have to see what works. An example from the book that Seth Godin talks about is Baby Einstein. Now, I don't know if you've heard of Baby Einstein before, but Baby Einstein was created by Disney, I believe. Uh, They told a very, very compelling story back in the early 2000s when they sold over $100 million worth of videos that were designed for newborns and infants. And they were selling to parents that had a worldview that, listen, we want to provide our children with the best education. We want them to have the best opportunities, opportunities that we might have never had. And we're very interested in keeping our kids smart and giving them every opportunity they can to learn. So that includes listening to classical music in the crib and anything else that we can give them to give them a leg up in society, we're going to do that. And so Disney tapped into that worldview and told a very similar story. And these parents who bought Baby Einstein, they wanted to feel like they were helping their children as best as possible. And they believe that. And as a result, they bought Baby Einstein. So very successful transaction here funny thing was and i don't mean to poo poo it but, but research later did show that these videos that were created for these children baby einstein had a very little effect on a child's ability to grow up smarter or provide them with an advantage or um, have any major impact on their intellect however that didn't matter because the parents felt like they were doing a good thing by buying a product and they thought that they were going to give their children a better opportunity because baby einstein told a similar story Told a story that was very much in line with the parent's worldview. Now, results aside, it's a very cool example of the power that story has on an individual if your story matches their worldview. And Again, that's your challenge as a marketer. What's your customer's worldview? What's your marketplace's worldview? And how can your story match up to that worldview? That's your challenge, but that's also a hell of a lot of fun. Golden nugget number three creating stories that match your customer's worldview. So I talked a little bit about this in the last Golden Nugget, but I wanted to dedicate a little bit more time to it in this Golden Nugget. So now that you have a better understanding of your customer's worldview, it's your opportunity now to create your story, or as Seth calls it, a frame that matches that worldview. Your frame is your story, and the frame allows you to present your story to customers in a way that is compelling, in a way that's meaningful to them. So let me start off by giving you guys an example, a real life example that I'm working through right now. In certain provinces, certain states, certain countries, when governments have been in power for a very long time, the people that work in those governments and the vendors that work in those governments, they follow a very similar worldview. And that worldview is created by the expectations of that government. So somebody that I'm working in right now, the government that was in power for 20 years, um, had a worldview of, you know, steady, recognizable. You know, we don't want to go out and find different vendors. We want to stick with the same vendors because we know what we're getting. It's the stability. We like that. And so that's what um, uh, vendors that worked with government agencies and want to continue to win contracts, they continue to exploit that. With stories about, you know, our familiarity with your systems Our um, depth of expertise in understanding your people, your processes, your procedures, and our ability to just inject ourselves into your team in order to deliver. And because their worldview matched the worldview of the current government in power, it was very easy for them to win contracts. Now, what happens when that worldview changes? So now that government who has been in power for 20 plus years now moves out and now you have a new government in place. This new government now has a new worldview. And that worldview is do more with less. So they're all about cost cutting. They want to cut costs. They want to do more with less. And so as a result of that worldview that they believe in, they now let go a lot of these vendors. These vendors who had long-term contracts. They worked with the previous government for 20 plus years. The problem was all those vendors didn't now tell a story that matched that worldview. However, this is an opportunity for organizations, for vendors who... Understand the importance of worldview, ensuring that their frame matches the worldview of that customer, and if they're able to match that worldview, they're able to win. And so now what's really funny is a lot of these vendors who do understand them, and I say a lot, but what I mean to say is very few of these vendors are now telling a story about doing more with less, being more efficient. They have processes and procedures that allow them to do double the amount of work of other teams. And so now when they bring that value proposition, that frame, that story to the new government, the government says, we have a worldview of doing more with less. If we can accomplish two times more with your firm by bringing you on board, it makes complete sense. And you're going to win this contract. Now, I'm not saying it's foolproof. I'm not saying they're gonna go in and they're gonna believe it right away. It might take time for you to get that message out and that message to marinate in their minds, but you will always have a much easier time of winning a contract, winning over a client, selling a product, a service, an offering, if your worldview matches their worldview. This is the importance of understanding the customer's worldview and providing a story, a frame that matches that worldview. Now, let me give you another example. Interstate bakeries, now they were the company that was behind Twinkies and Wonder Bread. They went bankrupt when their customers' worldview changed. And their customers' worldview changed because their customers got into a health kick that was created by Dr. Atkins' low carb diet. When that diet hit the media and went worldwide and went global, and everyone started to recognize it, parents didn't want to give Wonder Bread and give Twinkies to their kids for school for snacks. They wanted something healthier. They wanted a better alternative. And so as a result, interstate bakeries, they didn't adjust their frame. And as a result, they went bankrupt. But at that same time, another company, General Mills, they saw that changing worldview of their consumers and they responded to it. Very shortly after Adkins started, General Mills adjusted their story by saying that they only use 100% grains in all their cereal brands. No matter how much sugar was in their cereal brands, it didn't matter because they were telling a story of 100% whole grains and whole grains, those are healthy for you. And people bought into that. They believed in that story. And because Atkins was all the rage and people were all concerned about being healthy and being fit, well, they did something very simple and they matched that worldview. The most important thing to remember here is that people's worldviews change and you need to make sure your story matches their worldview. You can't just go out there with a message and expect people to eat it up. It doesn't happen that way. You need to understand what perspective they hold, and you have to match that perspective. Now, something else I really want you to to consider here, and this is the importance of, um, you know, being a growth strategist. You can't just have sales. You can't just have marketing. You have to understand other elements, strategy, innovation as well. So, for example, when uh, the Atkins Diet came out, Interstate Bakeries, they could have gone out with a marketing message that, you know, talked about how their Twinkies are now using 100% whole wheat grain as well. And maybe people would have believed in that. But the key here, though, is that you also have to change your product to match the worldview. Because all it takes is somebody to do a little bit of uh, uh, you know, an inside look into your product and do a little diagnostic of it. Bring your product to a lab and oust you. And guess what's going to happen? No matter what marketing message you bring to the table, if your product sucks, if your service sucks, if what it is you put out there sucks... People are going to find out, and that's going to destroy your brand. You can't just go out there with a marketing message and expect people to believe it. This whole thing about marketers are liars. I don't want you to go out there and tell a story that isn't true. You have to be authentic. It has to be real. It has to be, it has to be true. And I'll give you another example right now. I'm just loading this gold nugget up with examples. But Subway, Subway's telling a worldview right now that they are the healthier alternative to fast food. Right? And they're doing that by telling a story in many different avenues, through advertising, through uh, The Biggest Loser, you know, that TV show on, uh, uh, in, in um, the United States that has a whole bunch of overweight people working out. And what they're doing is they're telling them, you know, go to Subway, it's a healthy option, healthy alternative to getting fast food. They're telling that story to people who believe in a worldview that, hey, we want healthier alternatives that are fast. Problem was, Canadian media company, CBC, recently ousted them for serving chicken that wasn't really 100% chicken. It was 50% soy. And the grill marks on the grilled chicken aren't actually real grill marks. They're just designed on there to make it look like grilled chicken. And so what it is is just a kind of a mishmash of a whole bunch of different ingredients that are supposed to be chicken. And the problem was they didn't invest enough in their product. They tried to cut costs and they allowed the story to permeate in the marketplace. problem was once that expose was featured, now it ruined their credibility, ruined their brand. And I myself, who used to go to Subway all the time, have not been to Subway since because of that. And I know it's not only me, it's myself, a whole bunch of peers, my family members. Their brand got destroyed because they relied too much on the story. Yes, story is important, but also your product is, your services. Make sure that your product or service is quality. Just like in that government example I gave you earlier about doing more with less. You can't just say you do more with less without backing it up. You have to prove it. Show me data. Show me how you're going to do it. And then your story is going to be very compelling. So I kind of got on this really long rant in this golden nugget. I hope you guys can appreciate the passion coming through in this golden nugget. But to bring it all back now, you need to make sure that your story, your frame matches their worldview. And again, you have to make sure that your story is telling something that's truthful. Don't be telling a story about a feature or a benefit of your product that isn't true. Make sure that whatever it is you're trying to achieve, make sure your product or your service can back up that story. Last but not least, golden nugget number four, the importance of understanding the difference between a fib and a fraud. Now, in last Golden Nugget, we talked about the importance of authenticity and how your brand, your story needs to be authentic. It needs to be true. Well, Seth Godin notices that in a lot of marketers' um, value propositions that they make to the marketplace, there's fibs and there's frauds. And there's a difference between the two. A fib is when you tell your your spouse that you had a late meeting, when in all actuality, you were out shopping for an engagement ring for them and it was going to take you a long time. The reason that you were doing that was to create the element of surprise. You didn't want to give them any hints. You could have been truthful and said, yeah, I'm going to go get you an engagement ring. But it takes away from some of the surprise of you doing it. That's a fib. And a fib from a story that we were telling earlier with Rydell's glasses, he tells a fib. Now, he's kind of an ethical liar, as Seth Godin would say. Because of this little fib that, you know, our glasses can make your experience better, your wine better and the customer believes it, is that necessarily wrong? What do you think? Do you think it's wrong? Do you think it's right? Listen, if you just went ahead and bought yourself new Nikes or new Louboutins because you know they were marketed as comfortable and stylish and, and you feel comfortable, you feel stylish. Well, guess what? They became comfortable. They became stylish in your mind. Fibs are okay to use because they're used to enhance the experience that you're providing. Now, frauds, on the other hand, are a completely different subject. Frauds are those just blatant lies that you tell that could actually harm your customer's experience. Not only harm the customer's experience, but even harm them and their lives. There's a number of stories here that we can reference. Nestle, Nestle, they committed fraud with their story many, many years ago when they told consumers that bottle feeding was far better than breastfeeding. Now, because of this message, this story they told, this inadvertently contributed to A lot of babies dying, and according to UNICEF, I believe it was over a million babies. If they would have told a more authentic story about, um, you know, the importance of bottle feeding for parents who, you know, have babies that have a difficult time latching on, then you know what, this story might have resonated in a way that was far more um, authentic to a specific customer's worldview. But instead they got greedy, they wanted to capture more of the marketplace instead of just babies that had a difficult time latching on. They wanted all mothers to believe in this story. Because of that, it hurt their brand, it hurt their company, and I'll tell you this much, it really, really hurt their customers. Another example, when VW, Volkswagen, when they lied about the amounts of carbon dioxide their cars admitted, people within the organization, like CEO Martin Winterkorn, he lost his position because of that. Their company suffered. Their stock prices plummeted. And they had to recall, I think it was about two hundred fifty to 500,000 cars. If you're trying to get away with fraud, consumers will always find out. Don't ever try to do that. I just told the example of Subway before as well too. Whether it's Subway, whether it's Nestle, whether it's Volkswagen. Customers will always catch fraud. It's just a matter of time. So the key lesson I want you to take away here is leveraging fibs and staying away from frauds. You know, use a fib to enhance the customer's experience. You know, a restaurant that I go to frequently, they talk about the importance of ambiance and the importance of them integrating feng shui into your eating experience in terms of how the restaurant's laid out. Listen, they could be out to lunch on that, but I believe it. That's a fib that I truly believe, and it makes my experience better. And I go back there, and I spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars at that restaurant all the time because I believe in that story they're telling, and it resonates with me. Don't go out and tell a fraud that could harm your customer, harm your brand. It's just not worth it, you guys. Heed the lessons learned from companies like Subway, companies like Nestle, companies like Volkswagen, and understand that consumers always catch on. So if you're going out there to the marketplace with a message that isn't necessarily true and you can't back it up with any results, if they catch on to you, you're gonna have a lot more problems in the future because of that story, that fraud, that lie that you told, you're better off not telling that story at all. All right, my friends, there we have it. That's All Marketers Are Liars, The Power of Telling Authentic Stories in a Low-Trust World by Seth Godin. Hope you really enjoyed this episode. I love all books by Seth Godin, but I really, really like this book because the power of stories, that's something cool, man. I mean, I have so much fun telling stories, and as a marketer, I think that that's probably where you can have your most fun. There's such great opportunity to engage people with a different story, with a story that resonates and resonates. Man, let me tell you, once you have a story that resonates and you have an opportunity to tell that story on a regular basis, that is so much fun. So I encourage you guys, try to understand the worldview of your marketplace. Go out there, ask questions, dig deep, be curious, and find out their worldview. Once you have a better understanding of their worldview, come back into the office and try to set up a frame. Try to tell a story that matches that worldview and see how they react. See how they engage with you. See if they like it, if they comment, if they wanna be a part of that story. Bring that message forward to sales. Tell sales to start telling that message and turn your company into an army of storytellers that shares a story that resonates with that worldview. I tell you, man, that's fun to me and I hope that's fun to you. And I hope that this book, All Marketers Are Liars, I hope that you can get something out of this that you can then put into practice for yourself. If you wanna pick up the book, by all means, pick up the book, you guys. You know, Cut the Crap podcast, it's not designed to replace actually buying the book. If you want more information about this, if you want more inspiration, then please feel free. Go ahead, pick up the book. Read the book. Obsess about it. Keep it by your bedside. and Read it one, two, three, four, five times. This book might be the key to your breakthrough in your career, in your life, in your business that you didn't know existed until today. So my friends, if you enjoyed this episode, please go on iTunes, rate and review this episode. Thank you so much in advance for those of you who do go out and do that. All right, you guys. I hope you have a fantastic week. Like I said, I hope you enjoyed this podcast. And you know as usual, I'll catch you back here next week with a brand new book and brand new golden nuggets. Hope you guys have an excellent week. Take it easy. I love you guys.
1: Expected to be anything but ordinary. I was raised to be nice and ordinary. I expected I would grow up to be like Dad worked for the phone company. I figured I'd go to work for the phone company, maybe work in an office. I figured I'd work till 65, I'd have 1.34 kids, I'd retire at 65, and then I'd die at the statistical average age for my, you know, my gene pool. That's what I expected. Until one day in 1972, On the radio in the next room to mine, I heard a voice that changed everything. I heard the voice of Earl Nightingale, known at the time as the Dean of Personal Motivation. He said if you will spend one extra hour each day studying your chosen field, you'll be a national expert in that field in five years or less that hit me like a tornado. It rearranged everything in my life. If you were to focus half an hour of study on one field of endeavor for five consecutive years, you'd not only transform you, you'd transform the world around you. And we collectively would transform the world as we know it today. Know how you're smart, not just how smart you are in comparison to others. In what ways are you smart? Know what you care about. What are the values that motivate your choices? Know what your personal velocity is, the intensity and drive with which you naturally operate. Know the background imprint, positive, neutral, or negative that you carry with you and what effect it's had on you. Know your behavioral style, how you come across to other people. Know your, the patterns in your choices so that you're continually learning more and more about what it's like to be you so you can do an even better job of it. What are you going to do with the time you have left? I say that if you don't reposition yourself, you could miss the best time.